consider if you will. Outside your door lies a world full of strange possibilities and things that make us question our entire reality. To find answers, sometimes you must go off the path of normal. Welcome to Off the Path of Normal, everyone. I am joined today by my co-host, Kimberly R. Scott. Hello, hello. And our resident skeptic, Wes. Boogity-boo. How's it going? Good, good. How's it with you? It's going. It's one of your favorite topics. It is. Long time coming. This pandemic has uh, thrown everything for a loop. Yeah, but it's good that we can do it. True. This is one of those ones that uh, is seeing is believing for me, so you might actually have me on this one. Okay. Fair enough. Has anybody had their own encounter? I have not. No, neither have I. Not even close. And I've been to some pretty remote places where I'd have been ripe for one and nothing happened. Hmm. I've never had one myself, but I want one. I want to see them. Would you be one of those people like freak out and leave or would you stay and... I would probably stay and freeze up and see what he does. Okay, fair enough. Hope for the best. Reach for the camera. <laughs> I'd be reaching for new underwear. This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Oh my god. Pants go brown. Gotta wear the brown pants. <laughs> so true. I think that's what drives me crazy with the ghost hunters. I love it. But they're asking ghosts to make contact, and then when the ghost does, they freak out and leave the room, and they're all screaming, and I'm like, what are you doing? You gotta stay. I write that off in the same vein as um, roller coasters. You know, people have this strange need to embrace the fear, you know, they, the idea of getting on the roller coaster, you're giddy, ha ha, yeah, yeah. And then that first, you know, uh, the first, the first caress, <laughs> right? And then by the time you're done, you're laughing about it. It's like that kid. Pony! I'm a pony! <laughs> Very true. Coming up today, we have a fantastic interview with a rising star in the field of cryptozoology. Thomas Morgan. So, let's get to it. Bigfoot, Yeti, Skunk Ape, Sasquatch. More than 95% of sightings take place in Asia or North America, with nearly 70% of these occurring at high altitudes or dense tree cover. There are also recognized hotspots all over the world where sightings are far more common. One is the Himalayas, and another, the vast forests of the Pacific Northwest. Today we're talking Bigfoot. Wahoo! With sightings all over the world and reports from highly credible witnesses, it can't all be fiction. Misidentification? Maybe. Hoax? Possibly. But maybe, just maybe, there's more to it. Sasquatch has been sighted in the records of Native Americans for centuries. Once written off and ridiculed as the ravings of crazy people, Science is finally putting its lens on the subject and analyzing the tremendous amount of evidence without bias that once plagued it. So, I want to take it back to a fairly old encounter, just a historical one, if you will, Mm -hmm. on the Canadian side of the border. The tale of Albert Ostman. Okay. In the summer of 1924, a Swiss-born Canadian named Albert Ostman hired a native guide to take him to the Toba Inlet for the purposes of prospecting. He was told tales of missing prospectors who were possibly killed by a Sasquatch, but refusing to believe this, he went anyway. 
The guide was sent to return in 18 days, and Osman was left on his own. About two days into his expedition, he awoke to find that something had been ransacking through his campsite. And it happened again the second night. And finally, on the third night, he decided he was going to catch whatever was doing it. So he kept his rifle in his sleeping bag and tried to keep awake, but like feigning sleep. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he did fall asleep, but was awakened when something picked up his sleeping bag with him in it. What? Yeah. Oh, my. When it put him down finally, he came out of the sleeping bag to find himself face to face with a large ape-like creature and soon found that there were other Sasquatch there as well. Along with the adult male, there was an adult female and two juveniles. They had also brought his backpack with him and set it near him as a sign of good faith. Really? I guess. It was a good thing. That way he had some supplies with him. Yeah, yeah. He tried to escape, but the male continuously blocked his path. Over the next several days, he tried gaining their trust by giving them what little food he had from his backpack. Mm -hmm. And on the sixth day, he gave the large male the entire contents of a can of snuff. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And because he had somewhat gained their trust, this poor Sasquatch down the whole can, and shortly thereafter became violently ill and started puking oh. and fell to the ground. I can't imagine oh. why. <laughs> so it was at this point, while the other Sasquatches were checking on the uh, mail, he grabbed his stuff and he ran. And he ran for two days convinced they were still following him until he found a logging cabin had collapsed. He didn't tell anybody about his experience until 1957 for fear of being ridiculed. Even then, some of the people questioned the validity of his tale, but others were quick to point out his incredible amount of detail, and he even signed a sworn affidavit that he was telling the truth. What year was the, uh, the encounter? 1924. And then the actual revealing of the tale. 50s? 57. So, wow. I mean, he's had 30 years to orchestrate a pretty elaborate story. I mean... Uh, yeah, but think of the times. I do. I do. I it's think of the a, times, yeah. Yeah. I could see him not saying anything. Sure. But I also think of Sam the snake oil salesman who's honed his craft over a period of, you know, how, how many years of dragging the wagon around trying to sell his his uh, tonics and whatever else. I'm just saying there's enough, there's enough years gone by that, you know, the people, uh, what's, what's the, um, you tell the lie so much that you actually believe it. But he hasn't been telling the lie. He's he... been telling himself. Mm, I don't know. Telling, you know, going public is one thing. Telling somebody is another. And, and, and I think that's where maybe, you know, there's this, you tell your inner circle and over a period of years, you've sort of honed that story. And then finally, when you think it's, you know, because when was the big craze for Bigfoot? It didn't start until 1967. I thought it was a little bit. Okay, yeah. So it is a little bit later than what we're talking about. Because I kind of wondered if maybe his going public co kind of coincided with some of that, you know, the, the famous footage. The hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who knows? Apparently, once it became part of the public record, he was interviewed by a radio reporter. And the interviewer was thoroughly convinced that his account was genuine. And this interview sparked a series of articles on the subject in the local paper at the time called The Province, and many authors and researchers started interviewing him in the years that followed. He maintained that it was all true right up to his deathbed on January 16th, 1975. Wow. To this day, the incident is still cited as being credible, with multiple television shows, books, and more still referencing it. But it's not without its critics, as some maintain he made it all up, or was confusing memory with fantasy. 
So here's this is a little thing about um, the psychology of memory, and and I'm not a doctor by any means, but worked in healthcare for a number of years, and so the further away we get from the event, the more our ability to recall that event becomes blurred. And this is there's lots of examples of how this this has affected people, particularly in criminology, where the witness uh, identifies the perpetrator of the crime. And they swear up and down that that is who it is. One, they want it to be true. So they kind of, there's this confirmation bias that you believe that that's the person because, yep, it looks like him. It has to be him. But then you have these mistrials where they've come back and they've, they've looked at the evidence again and they find, you know, psychologically speaking, that over the course of years and decades, that the, the ability to recall the actual event has diminished. And so that's how that whole, you know, the stories get bigger than the actual events. True. Yeah. And there, like I said, there is some psychology behind that. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, an interesting, uh, you know, uh, an interesting way to look at it. You know, look at our, our last episode about with the locks and, you know, like typically people who are into paranormal, at least hobbyists, and this is just completely anecdotally speaking, but there's a propensity to want to believe because there's an, already an interest there. So who knows? I mean, uh, I was only months old <laughs> when this gentleman passed away. So, uh, you know, not having heard the, the tale firsthand, I'm, I can only speculate. So, Well, it does come from an older time where your word was your bond. That's true, too. And, you know, the ridicule was real. You didn't want to be... I think so. And if it was a traumatic event, that's going to be in your memory. That's... It would be etched. I feel it would. Something like that. More so than, you know, maybe what you did last week or whatnot. True. Do you know what I mean? What you had for breakfast last Tuesday as opposed to getting kidnapped by a Sasquatch. Right. And knowing no one's going to believe you. Yes. And getting to an age where you're like, you know what? I got to say something. I don't know. I could see it happening. I'll go back to what I said before. I'm a I'm a seeing is believing kind of person, so uh, I I will I will shove the the shoe the foot, I will eat it all if science can show me one. Fair enough. I've said it here, and I uh, my word is my bond. <laughs> so I hope you don't forget. Yeah, well, by the time it happens, I'll probably be on. Uh, I'll be several pairs of shoes past the ones I'm wearing currently. I'm sure of that. Well, that's okay. This is going on public record. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's on the internet, folks. It doesn't go away. It just gets it just gets lost for a little while. <laughs> yep, and circulates back. That's right. So I do have another tale from, oddly enough, 1924. Oh, same year? Same year. Oh, wow. Okay. Earlier in the year, though. Uh, but on the American side of the border this time, on a summer night in July of 1924, in a gorge northeast of Washington's Mount St. Helen, about eight miles oh, from yeah. Spirit Lake, a group of gold miners had bedded down for the night in a cabin that they'd built by hand. While sleeping, it is said that the group of five miners were awakened by the sound of huge rocks hitting the outside of the cabin. The men, Fred Beck, Gabe Lefevre, John Peterson, Marion Smith, and Smith's son Roy, claimed that the stones were being thrown by huge mountain devils covered in long black hair. Soon they would start returning fire with their rifles, and the rocks would stop momentarily, only to start again a few minutes later. Hmm. At one point during the ordeal, a Sasquatch is said to have reached into the cabin through a hole in the wall, but he was repelled before he could grab anything. 
Some of the rocks fell through a hole in the roof, and it's said that one struck Beck in the head, rendering him unconscious for around two hours, and the siege lasted until daybreak, at which point the creatures left and the men inched their way outside. <laughs> well, that that's very telling, because like, as soon as you said throwing rocks, I, you know, as a kid, you throw rocks up against the garage door because it makes a good bang, right? But now, like... How big does the rock got to be to knock the guy out? Exactly. I mean, th- that to me says, you know, b- boulder-ish, you know? Uh, at least brick, boulder Brick size, size maybe? Well, it, it does come up later. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the men, as he came out, Fred Beck, saw one of the creatures in the distance on the edge of the gorge, and he claims that he fired a shot from his rifle and watched the creature tumble down. Hmm. Because of the incident, the gorge would later be renamed Ape Canyon, and Beck would go on to write a book about the experience, but not everyone was convinced. One of the more popular explanations attributes the events to a group of youth from a nearby YMCA camp, and they unknowingly bombarded the cabin with pumice stones as part of a group tradition, or possibly just for mischief, with the added thought that any noise made by this group would echo through the canyon, creating a more beastly noise. But for fun, or not... No one in their right mind would stick around throwing rocks when you hear rifle shots coming at you. That would, no, yeah. that would end it. Yeah, I mean, having been on the two-way range, uh, when when uh, the bullets are flying, you you tend to uh, you know batten down a bit. <laughs> yeah, duck out of the way. Yeah. Tales of these giant ape men were nothing new at the time, as lumberjacks, prospectors, and hunters claimed to see giant footprints from time to time, and the Native Americans often spoke of these mountain devils, but because. No one gave it any serious thought at the time. It was just written off as myth. Right. But when the men made it back to civilization the next day, their story made the rounds, and the U.S. Forest Service decided it was a legitimate enough claim that they should investigate. Mm -hmm. So Rangers J.H. Huffman and William Welch hiked back in with Beck and Roy Smith, but in the spot where he seen the creature fall, there was nothing. Nobody. Gone. They continued on to the cabin, but the rangers concluded that the miners had placed the stones themselves, which were fairly large. Hmm. A reporter from Oregon asked the rangers what about the 14-inch tracks they found outside the cabin, to which the ranger proceeded to create something similar in the dirt using his knuckles and his palm. Really? And stated, that's how they're made. Do you remember, do you, I mean, I, I don't think uh, it's been a while since I've done it, but you know when the windows get foggy and you make the footprint you you do the 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 fist and you you kind of loop into the into the 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 condensation and then poke the toes in yep i see some guy kind of doing a variation of that i don't know on a much larger scale yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. how big were his hands well (laughs) maybe he used an inch track (laughs) it would stick i don't know the men's friends and acquaintances believed that they had encountered something and people did still want to believe Frank Wanasay, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Sounds uh, good. a member of the Cowlitz tribe had told the reporters about a set of peculiar creatures that the tribe's elders often spoke about, and the description closely matched that given by the men. But Wanasay insisted that the creatures were harmless. Mm-hmm. Sightings do continue in the area to this day, and yeah. Well, so that's a hot spot. Apparently, yes. Yeah. So that was uh, Washington State, Washington State, which yeah. is a huge, yeah, Bigfoot. And the first, the area. first story was out in BC, so West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pacific Northwest, high altitudes, yeah. mountains, mm-hmm. densely forested areas. That's right. 
Uh, oh, big time. Yeah. A side note, unfortunately, on this, while I was researching this one, uh, I did run across a terrible Sasquatch film oh, called boy. Ape Canyon, and it had a budget of apparently nothing, <laughs> but it features a Bigfoot with an incredibly high libido ready to unleash his, and I'm quoting here, red hot Sasquatch love. Oh, boy. On any tree-hugging ladies or campers who stray too close. Oh, it's that kind of film. It is. I don't even know. <laughs> so that's not exactly, uh, you know, I documentary? I, I wouldn't call this proof. But uh, it is out there somewhere. Someone likes it. Oh, boy. That's a whole other podcast. I don't think we have a show for that one yet. <laughs> I do have a bit on the Patterson-Gimlin film. Sure. Which, everyone. Which you have to refresh out. my memory on that. Okay. Well, it won't be too much of a refresh because this one's pretty popular. Yeah. Is that one. the- That is the- The film? The film. The yeah. grainy walking down the riverbed? Yep. Do, 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 do. Okay. Yep. Everyone's so, seen it at least once. The gorilla suit guy? I don't no, think it's a gorilla it suit. is not a what? gorilla suit. What do you mean? Uh-huh. All right, carry on. All right, carrying on here. So in 1959, Roger Patterson read an article in the December issue of True Magazine and became fascinated with the subject of Sasquatch. He visited the Bluff Creek area in 1962 and started talking to locals on the subject because it had been spotted. He returned again in 1964, and this time he did get to see fresh tracks, which led him to publish a book called Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist in 1966? Now, Patterson was a inventor, artist-type person. Okay. And he really wanted to leave his mark on the world. Right. So, be it through an invention or something, but after finding Sasquatch, he thought, you know, if I could get proof of this, that would really, you know, strike my legacy. So, in May or June of 1967, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin started filming a pseudo-documentary about cowboys being led by a miner and a Native American tracker on the hunt for Bigfoot. And they did this with the help of nine volunteers acting as other actors, cameramen, sound people. Mm -hmm. And that got shot. And then there was a bit of a break, at which point Patterson went to Hollywood to try and find more investors. Okay. But not too many people were biting because of the subject matter. So in October of that year, Patterson and Gimlin set out to shoot a bit more footage in the area of a recently sighted creature. And in the early afternoon... On Friday, October 20th, 1967, they were riding horseback along Bluff Creek, where they happened upon a downed tree with the root system blocking their path. They rounded it to find a log jam that had been left over from the flood of 64, at which point they spotted a creature crouching by a fallen log. It proceeded to get up and walk away, turning a couple times to kind of give them a look of disgust, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at which point Patterson chased after it with the camera, managing to capture 59 and a half seconds of footage. Hmm. But due to the fact that he was shooting the film in order to attract funding, it has been called into question time and time again if it's real. The film itself has been scientifically scrutinized for the last 54 years and subjected to everything from biometric analysis of the creature's gait and stride length to markers determining its height in the surrounding environment. To date, nobody has been able to disprove the footage. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is it's not, you know, not being able to disprove is not in itself proof. True. And that's where it comes up because Patterson passed a yeah. lie detector. Yeah, yeah. And he went to his grave in 72 saying it's real. The creature is real. Wow. Bob Gimlin has never disputed that. He has said 
if it's a hoax, it was all by Patterson. Right. And I don't think he could that do he it. Was, he was not in the loop in any way. No. Interesting. But people have right. shown up claiming to be the guy in the suit. Okay. And this guy, he did pass a lie detector as well. <laughs> Saying that he was in the suit. Claiming wow. to be the one in the suit. Wow. But when people matched up, you know, yeah. his metrics to the yeah, creature's yeah. metrics. It didn't lie. It up. doesn't match. So back to the snake oil salesman. Here you have a guy who's, uh, you know, a fame seeker. True. And uh, comes up with a thing. A thing that may or may not be real. And then everybody else comes out of the woodwork thinking that they can ride the coattails of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you come out of the, you know, hey, I was the guy in the suit because I'm going to get a slice of that, you know, notoriety pie. True. Yeah. Well, that happens with anything. That's what I mean. Right. Look at Anastasia. All the women that came through. Claiming to be her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's that if there's a chance, like. I don't know what how else to call it except, you know, riding on the coattails of somebody else thinking, you know, you just get a little slice of that pie, right? Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the definitely the footage is uber famous. Well, and the technology at the time has held up. Even the technology now can't disprove or replicate that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. I think you might be able to get away with recreating it now with the special effects we have available. You could, but you'd know it was special effects. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, this is like a real film. Like, it couldn't be someone just walking in a suit or... I'm going to dispute that. I would say that you wouldn't know if there was enough... That whole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite that. We actually talked about this on our other show not too long ago. But uh, there's a video essay out there, and it's called Why CGI Sucks, But It Doesn't. And it kind of breaks down the idea that Bad CGI is bad for uh, one of two reasons or a combination of both of them. One is you don't have enough time and the other is you don't have enough money or it's a combination of those two things. And then in the documentary, it goes on to list all these CGI elements from films that you didn't know were CGI. And the biggest one is, anybody see uh, Brokeback Mountain? No. All the sheep are CGI. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, and they show these scenes from the films as you're watching the documentary. So, I think there's a difference between having sheep being a secondary or a background. When you're focusing on the one object that is everyone's attention, I think there's a difference there. Maybe. I think if there's enough money and enough time that it's seamless and fairly transparent. Sure. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. But I'm pretty sure they didn't have that in 1967. Well, that's <laughs> no, not even close. No. Because, like, you look at that video and they're, the muscles are flexing yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, So how would you replicate that in a suit at that time? Well, no, technology? you just, you wouldn't. I mean, uh, a suit, you know, a suit is a suit is a suit. And unless it's got its own musculature that is actually, you know, under tension somehow, like cables or whatever. Yeah, I mean, not to make light of it, but, you know, dude in a gorilla suit looks like dude in a gorilla suit. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Countless uh, King Kong movies and uh, and uh, Toho <laughs> kaiju movies say so. Yep. <laughs> they look real. <laughs> but even King Kong, they didn't go out of their way to make him a female. That's true. The creature pictured in this video has visible breasts. Okay. So if you were going to hoax it, why go for the harder of the two? Yeah, I, I guess. Very true. True. So we do have an interview with Thomas Morgan, rising star in the field of cryptozoology. So let's take a listen. 
Hello, Thomas. Hey, how are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you for coming on and joining us here today. No problem. So, Sasquatch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first become interested in the subject of Sasquatch? So, I mean, I probably always knew about it because of just pop culture, but I was I probably first got interested um, mainly when I was probably like pretty young. I mean, younger than I already am, like maybe seven or so. Oh, wow. Um, and, I, and I saw, I think, Finding Bigfoot. I also, one of my aunts gave me um, a book called The Unexplained by the cryptozoologist Carl Schuker. Uh, which had a section on Bigfoot, but it had, you know, a bunch of other kind of topics. And that's mainly what got me interested, I think, is that book, as well as Finding Bigfoot, which I actually went on Cliff Berkman and Bobo, who were on um, the show. Uh, I went on their um, podcast. Excellent. That's very cool. You've been to some conventions, I've heard. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereabouts has that taken you, like, across the country, or...? I have been to in terms of conventions i've been to uh cryptid con which is what it sounds like it's a convention about cryptozoology and it's and it was i think i went there two or three times uh and they were all in uh, kentucky i think lexington which is in central kentucky okay i uh, never even knew that was a thing that's pretty cool that there's a cryptid convention yeah or? i never knew that i never heard of that before yeah there's actually a lot more convention specifically about bigfoot oh wow that's cool mm -hmm. i i went there i talked to a lot of uh people i already knew which led me to occasionally talking to someone and just ha casually like you know striking a, co a conversation i'm like oh mm -hmm. my god that's craig Wooleater. oh my god it's this guy and i'm <laughs> like you know i'm like and i didn't even know who they were i just knew their names and knew who what they did that's uh, pretty awesome yeah i I met Lauren Coleman multiple times. Do you know who Lauren Coleman is? Me personally, no, I have to admit. He is kind of the the leading authority on cryptozoology, at least today. Okay. Um, which is the study of animals that are disputed to exist or kind of unrecognized by mainstream science. Yeah, he's the guy you want to talk to by the sounds of it. Yeah, he has a cryptozoology museum in Portland in Maine. Oh, wow. Um, and he's been doing cryptid research I, I think since like the 60s or something for a very long time yeah and i met cliff and bobo the, con the yeah the conventions were quite nice uh, i did get on a on a little panel thing with a bunch of other young cryptid researchers mm -hmm. uh, which was quite nice i've never done that before so i was kind of nervous but i think i did okay excellent so have they asked you back to be panelists again or no i think that was just the first time Okay. And um, I guess with COVID and everything, you know, conventions have taken a back yeah. seat. Yeah. Yeah. While I was in CryptidCon, there was, of course, a lot of Bigfoot related stuff. And there was a there's a Bigfoot researcher na uh, named Tom Shea in Kentucky. And I actually held real Bigfoot casts, which was pretty cool. Or at least, well, allegedly real, of course. <laughs> That's still pretty awesome to have it in your own hands. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So that's actually a good point. That leads me to my next question. You have a collection of foot castings? Yeah, I have three different casts. Okay. Uh, whereabouts did you acquire them? I think I got two of them in the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. 
Uh, I think I got another one online. I think, or maybe all of them. I, I don't quite remember. Okay, fair enough. Uh, they're hung up on my bedroom wall. There's on the left. There is uh, the Shipton cast, which is not a Bigfoot. It's a what you'd call a Yeti. So okay. it came from the Himalayas. It was never actually physically casted. It was photographed, and it's more like as it's more like as if you did cast it, um, based on the photographs. That was, you know what I mean. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah, and there was a one in the middle, which I think was in the '80s in Grays Harbor in Washington. It's the biggest cast I have, and then in the far right, I have one that is uh, in Bluff Creek, and it was, I think, casted by Roger Patterson or Bob Titmus, um, in the exact same area where the where the film Patterson was? footage was filmed. Oh, that's cool. And and there is a significant chance that it, uh, it might be from the same individual that was filmed. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So if you had to pick one of the three, which one's your favorite? Hmm. <laughs> Million dollar question. question. Just because all of them are so cool. For sure. Uh, I think just, I think the Patterson footage one, just because, I don't know. It, there's, there, cause there's so much well-known stuff about the Patterson footage that yeah. makes it very interesting. There's definitely a historical element to that one, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah, the, people have been casting Bigfoot prints since like the, the 40s and there's been descriptions of the creature's tracks since like i think the early 19th century mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so have you found a track yourself in all your travels i personally have not found a track myself no, no. that would be very cool if i did yeah, that's I what i'm thinking <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah okay so we know you're working on your map project can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, which specific one are you referring to? Uh, the, I have multiple. The one I saw on your website where it documents like uh, different strange occurrences across the world? Oh, yes, that one. Yeah, that's probably one of my biggest ones. I just wanted to make a cool map pinning different uh, mysteries. Some of them are really well-known and some of them are obscure. I tried to stay away from any of the more wooey ones that are kind of more paranormal i mean there are i mean if you define paranormal in the sense of something science can't explain of of course it's paranormal Mm -hmm. but i mean like ghosts and ufos like stuff that pretty much every scientist agrees this is a thing that does happen or did happen but we don't know why okay um so you know ball lightning would be an example um the roswell crash would not okay there, there's a couple UFO ones, but yeah, it's mostly it's mostly actual phenomena. There's also unsolved murders and disappearances and things like that. A lot of them are kind of Fortian mysteries, which is named after Charles Fort, who's a one of the earliest kind of pioneers in researching mysterious phenomena. I think he coined the word teleport. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and uh, so a lot of the well-known ones... Raining animals. Have you ever heard of that phenomenon? Yes. Where it literally just rains frogs or mm-hmm, worms mm-hmm. or crabs. I find those ones weird because there's literally... My favorite mysteries are the ones where, like, I don't even know what to do with that information. <laughs> like, I, I can't even... There's no like, box to put it in. Yeah, you can't really put it anywhere. Yeah. Like, there's some pretty gross ones where it rains, like, unidentified meat. Oh, well, I have not heard that. Uh, Yeah, in the 1880s in Bath County, which is in Kentucky, 
it rained meat like like pink diced up meat oh my god and it and it was in a relatively small area but it was big enough that it obviously wasn't like you know thrown out by some hot air balloon or right packed up by a vulture but and it was so much that the ground was like pink and people apparently people were bored enough i guess in the 1880s in kentucky to eat the mysterious sky meat <laughs> which seems like the worst idea you could possibly do nothing happened to them um i think they said it tasted like sheep oh okay. but it gets even worse somehow uh because some people preserved it and later people theorized like based on the anatomy of the meat and stuff i think the idea is that it either came from something like a young horse or a human i was gonna say human mm. yeah it feels like a the world's weirdest x-files episode it absolutely does mm-hmm. with a five second rule attached apparently <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> yeah i find those ones quite weird there, there's one it didn't necessarily rain but near where i live between i think havelock and caladar there's a little a little town i forget what it's called i think it's called malone or something like that and in the 50s on this one road which is how you get to the village there was so many frogs that you couldn't you couldn't go to it because the ground was just green and writhing around and there were so hmm. many of them that a lot of them died they because they drowned in other frogs oh my goodness like yeah, really, really weird. Biblical amounts of frogs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely That's crazy. A biblical amount. I think there's some translations of the Bible where it implies it's just one frog, which I think is quite funny. Hmm. It's just a very annoying individual frog. Um, <laughs> it's not very related, but I think that's funny. It's oh, crazy. Sure. Um, yeah. So you map all this strange phenomenon mm -hmm. and... You just have a map or an interactive map, or how does that work? I have a Google Maps. So it's interactive. So I was you, okay. on it for quite yeah, a bit, so can, searching there what you've put up. Mm -hmm. So you can click on it, and it'll give you a little thing. I will say that I have not written everything. Some of them I have literally just copy-pasted. So I should probably not have done that. I did start this years ago before I completely understood that you shouldn't do that. I mean, I think most of them are fine. but I'm sure they are. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, so many cool mysteries. There's the Dyatlov Pass is a well-known one. Uh, the Eastall Woman. So, so many of them. Hmm, fascinating. Okay, so switching back more towards the Sasquatch here, uh, mm -hmm. you've also come up with the Cryptid Authenticity Index. What mm -hmm. inspired you to do that? I wanted to make an unbiased rating on the chance of this cryptid turning out to be real because i mean of course some people would be really invested in the loch ness monster existing but i personally don't think it does exist so i kind of wanted to make one that's unbiased and everyone would agree these rules make sense mm -hmm. um and so far i don't think i've found any major flaws in the the thing but i am open to any constructive criticism on it for sure um yeah, it's it's from 1 to, I think, 200, and a lot of the highest scoring ones are um, Bigfoot, Tasmanian Tigers, which did actually exist, but they're, they were declared extinct, but they're still being seen, which can, is, makes them a cryptid. Yeah, they are, for sure. There's um, 
a lot of unknown big cats are also tend to have high ratings. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people might be surprised because um, lake monsters tend to get a pretty low rating. And, you know, the idea of a lake monster is really cool, but unfortunately there is a lot of problems with it. Like, based on the Loch Ness Monster's anatomy, you would assume it's either a, a like a plesiosaur dinosaur thing, or it is some kind of weird long-necked seal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's ever said it looks like a fish. Like, it's usually considered to look like a mammal or a reptile. Like usually a in the description, yeah. Some kind of aquatic reptile. And that would mean it needed to breathe air. So assuming there's a, like, a minimum breeding population to the point where there's so few they can't, they don't have a big enough gene pool, like a hundred of them, if it's like a plesiosaur or a seal or something, they'd need to breach at least once an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's being generous. So there's a hundred animals breaching every hour. And so far, there's only been, I think, four sightings this year when you would expect there to be hundreds and hundreds every single year. For sure. Especially with all the yeah. eyes they keep on that place. Yeah. There's also a lot of things that you could misidentify, which is not as much of a problem with Bigfoot. Like, you can certainly see a weird-looking log in the water and think that's Nessie, but there isn't really any animal in Canada or the United States that looks like a Sasquatch. There's none. I think the closest is a bear, and a lot of people say that people who see Sasquatches are misidentifying bears, but I think that is, frankly, just ridiculous. Like, there are Sasquatch sightings where they're brown in places like Ontario, where there's no grizzly bears. That's one problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing is bears when they're standing on two legs they have very like their limbs are of equal size like when they're on their hind legs their front legs they have like little stubby t-rex arms very short limbs yes yeah whereas bigfoot has super long limbs to the point where its hands go down to its knees when it's standing all the way up yeah like completely erect and there's a bunch of other problems. For instance, Sasquatches have flat faces. There's no ears ever reported. Or if it is, it's tiny little holes like a gorilla or a chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if, you know, a, a bear can stand on its hind legs. And if it's injured, it can walk on its hind legs. But you can't see a bear literally sprinting on its hind legs, let alone to the point where you'd think, man, that looks like a giant hair-covered <laughs> ape. That's no. just not... Correct. Yeah, the only one that sprints is uh, Yogi, and it's only for picnic baskets. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So the authenticity index with Bigfoot, the only thing it got as a as a minus point is that there's nothing in North America in the fossil record that looks like Sasquatch. Like, there's no apes in the fossil record in Canada or the United States, which is an actual problem. And I think people should actually, like, people who consider Bigfoot to be a real animal, should actually admit that that is a problem. I still think Bigfoot exists. Mm-hmm. You know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And if you say, well, then it would be the only ape in the Americas, you could also say that with a lot of things. You know, you could say that, well, like, imagine if common five-lined skinks are cryptids in Ontario, and they mm-hmm. were never officially discovered, or people are seeing them. Could right. a skeptic say, but they are real in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Could a mm-hmm. skeptic say, yeah, but there's no lizards in Ontario. Like, th- there are no lizards that live in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So how? So it's fake. I could probably think of other examples. Or if possums were cryptids, I could say, yeah, but there's no marsupials in Canada. There's none. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I do agree. It, it is certainly a problem. But besides that, it has pretty much every good thing. Like, it has enough space to hide. You certainly couldn't misidentify anything from it. It does have photographic evidence as well as physical, like, actual physical evidence, not just, like, a photo. There's a lot of recorded detailed sightings. There's indigenous folklore on it. I mean, the word Sasquatch is a Chehalis word. I think it means hairy giant. Mm -hmm. In Ontario, there's... The Ojibwe, they call it uh, Sabe, which means wilderness man or wilderness person. And I think the Wyandot, they call them, I don't remember, but it translates something to Midnight Whistler. The Cree have, I think, several names for it, because there's a lot of different dialects of Cree. Mm -hmm. I've heard, yeah, I don't remember. Trust me, there is one. It's mentioned in... Um, oh, I believe you. Yeah, John Green and John Worm's books. Plus, I could probably just ask a Cree elder. I've done that with Ojibwe elders. I think indigenous, like First Nations, is a good source, knowing that they've had so much passed down uh, oral history for so long. Well, there's always, absolutely, their stories have very much truth in them. Mm -hmm. The Ojibwe have a thing called the Seven Grandfather Teachings, mm -hmm. and it's somewhat analogous to the Ten Commandments. Uh, where it's a set of virtues, uh, except it's, it is different. There are seven of them, and each of them are different animals, and the animals have things associated with it. For instance, I think wisdom is a beaver, because they're smart. They can build a dam. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Eagles are love, because they have very complicated um, rituals. For instance, when uh, a male and a female are trying to, uh, I guess, fl flirt with each other, whatever <laughs> a bird does. Mating uh, rituals. Yeah, mating rituals. They, like, tangle their talons together and, like, free fall. And all of them are known animals except for one, which is Sabe. And it represents honesty. Hmm. Interesting. Mm hmm I think that's interesting in, in the same way that, I don't know, I think that tells something that it's not considered a kind of spirit or some kind of metaphysical thing. Mm-hmm. But more as a physical thing. A creature they would encounter in their day-to-day mm -hmm. -day life. Mm -hmm. In the forest. Like yeah, like a, just like a flesh and blood animal. So what are your thoughts on the possibility that Bigfoot could be an interdimensional being or an extraterrestrial? I think in the kindest way possible, there is absolutely no truth to it at all. Personally, I, don't, I have not found any reason to assume that, and I think it's kind of a weird leap in logic. Like, you know, Occam's Razor, it's kind of the opposite. Like, you're explaining an already bold claim with an extremely bold claim. I think in, in the way how Sasquatch appears in, in its anatomy, but also in its behavior, it seems to be pretty much just an ape. Besides the fact that it's quite large and that it's bipedal, it seems pretty similar to modern-day great apes. You know, modern-day great apes, they're curious animals. They do build nests in the woods. They eat similar things, they make the same noises, they both bluff charge, they both knock on trees. I mean, in the Congo, some locals in the Billy Forest call chimps tree beaters. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty well-known thing. Yeah, I, I don't see why there would be any reason to assume Sasquatch is interdimensional. And I, I think it's kind of like... I think the reason why some people think it is real is because they're frustrated that it's not been discovered yet. 
and that they want some excuse as to why. Well, maybe it can teleport. I don't know. Maybe it can turn invisible. Who knows? But, like, I don't know. The one I've heard the most is uh, hunters who have shot at it and bullets just passed right through it. Or so they claim. Yeah. Yeah. I have never hunted before, so I don't know what it's like. But I imagine if you just have a gun and you shoot a Bigfoot, you might not actually make it fall down. I mean, people have shot at chimps. There was a... This is a pretty messed up story, but there was a chimp named Travis, and it attacked its owner in a pretty brutal way, and it escaped. And, it, and, it, and it, this was in the United States, the, and it was a pet chimp. And it escaped, and it was not very healthy, like it was overweight, and I'm pretty sure they fed it Xanax or something. Oh, Jesus. To calm it down. Like, it, it's just animal abuse. It's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. And... And it escaped. Again, it's a an overweight chimp that is high on Xanax. And it ran away in the woods, and it's never been outside before. And a cop, and I think more than one cop, they shot it several times. And this is a chimp, so they're only four feet tall, more just over 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. And it got shot several times, and it didn't fall down. Imagine an animal that isn't 100 pounds, but is 800 pounds, but has a similar physique. Well, there's humans that are jacked up on something in the same similar situation right like it's it's not unheard of Mm -hmm. for that to happen and on the contrary there are actually cases of people who said they shot a bigfoot and actually killed it the reason why they didn't just bring the body is because if you're you know out turkey hunting and you shoot a bigfoot you're not exactly planning to haul an animal that is 800 pounds you know several kilometers to your truck like, you wouldn't be preparing to do that. There was um, a man in Manitoba in, in, I think, the early 40s. He said he shot a Bigfoot. And personally, I think his story is quite believable. Like, he didn't say anything that weird. It's very consistent. Mm-hmm. This was also before Bigfoot was super well-known, besides living in the Pacific Northwest. And he didn't even tell anyone for a long time because he was scared that people would think he was crazy. Hmm. So, I mean, if if Bigfoot is interdimensional and it's like, I don't know, bullets pass through it. It's weirdly inconsistent in how corporeal it is and isn't. I mean, I think a lot of people ascribe kind of spiritual things to animals. And I mean, that's pretty universal in human culture. But it's not always true in a literal sense, but maybe a kind of metaphorical sense. It could be. For sure. Have you come across any sort of local presence for Sasquatch in uh, the southern Ontario? On- yeah, the southern Ontario region? Yep, I have actually. I did a call with like a couple months ago with Seeking Ontario's Bigfoot, which has the hilarious acronym of SOB. <laughs> um and they're actually quite good. Like they're very scientifically minded and I've and they are doing a lot of great work. I have personally talked to several witnesses near where I live. There's sightings uh, hotspots i've noticed of course there might not actually be a hotspot here it's just that i am in this area and i'm looking around maybe if i lived in i don't know Aurelia, there it would look like there's a hotspot there as well but i've had a lot of bigfoot sightings around stony lake uh, which is north of peterborough i've had a lot of sightings near curve lake first nation and petroglyphs provincial park uh, algonquin provincial park obviously you could probably guess as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, in Curve Lake, there was someone who claimed they 
had a Bigfoot uh, stealing their vegetables in their garden. I think that's a common one that you hear quite often. Yeah, I mean, apes are pretty opportunistic. Apes certainly steal things. Well, if you're hungry, you're hungry. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't scared of it because she, you know, knew because it's in Ojibwe folklore. So she knew it wasn't going to, like, hurt her. So Mm -hmm. she just walked out and just yelled at it, being like, go, stop. And Mm -hmm. it just got up, you know, with a handful of tomatoes and ran and (laughs) leaped over a four-foot fence into the woods. There was a policewoman in petroglyphs who recorded unfortunately she doesn't have the recording anymore because she has a new phone i never personally met her this is a secondhand thing um but she recorded these bizarre like screaming gorilla sounds kind of like have you ever heard of the sierra sounds yes yeah yeah basically that kind of thing and she recorded it in the literally the parking lot of petroglyphs provincial park that'd be very unnerving Oh, yeah, she was scared. She, you know, she she was a police officer. She was in her car and she had a gun and she didn't want to go outside. <laughs> um, I wouldn't either. Yeah. And there's actually a petroglyph, possibly more than one, of Asabe in the petroglyph site. If you ask, if you ask one of the people working there, you know, can you show me the Asabe? They'll show you. You can't photograph it because that's not allowed because it's a sacred site. Uh, I mean, you can still Google it because of, like, you know crappy people in the 50s who didn't care mm-hmm. yeah actually just recently i talked to someone who was actually around my age near um southwest of peterborough like near the cavern swamp area mm-hmm. and he had multiple different experiences he found footprints a couple years ago and he also heard some weird noises and he didn't know this but actually 15 years previously there was a sighting weirdly enough a guy driving out of peterborough near the Cavan Hills Veterinary Services, and saw one run across the road. Huh. Which is not a place you'd expect to see a Bigfoot. No, it's mostly fields there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually... There is actually forest that connects in that area all the way up into the kind of Canadian Shield area mm-hmm. in Ontario, like once you go north of like Lakefield and Bob Cajun. You can actually do that, but it's still pretty weird. So have you come across anything like when someone's telling you they had a Bigfoot sighting that you just flat out knew they're making it up? Or is every sighting kind of plausible? Or was there an instance like you could identify it, say, as something else, like a fisher or something? I don't think so. I mean, I probably would if I kept going out. I mean, I doubt every single person I talked to genuinely saw a Bigfoot. Like, that's probably statistically unlikely but nothing super weird yeah because they're all the sightings are pretty similar i guess eh? yeah they are all quite similar do you have a favorite uh sasquatch story or experience maybe the ruby creek incident have you ever heard of that uh, i don't believe i've heard of that one in the 1940s uh there's a there's a little town um called ruby creek in bc it's near Harrison Hot Springs. It's to the east of it. Um, and there was uh, a family. They were indigenous. I think Stolo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, maybe they weren't. But they were indigenous. But they were. Um, they lived in a small cabin near Ruby Creek. And the husband of the family, something Chapman, I think Drew Chapman, uh, he was a railroad worker, so he was off in work. And the wife and their kid were 
at uh, their cabin. I, I think the wife was just doing some, well, I don't know, like laundry, some, something. And their kid came running in inside and started screaming and crying, saying, there's a big cow outside. And the wife was like, okay, why do you care? That's pretty normal. <laughs> but the fact that the kid was like, you know, so scared, she thought, I don't know, I should probably check out what's why the kid is so scared so she walks outside and she sees in the bush a big animal it's covered in brown hair that kind of plywood color and she thinks oh that's a big grizzly bear i think and then it stands up on two legs and she can see that it's a humanoid thing like a massive bulky eight foot tall Hmm. bipedal ape basically and she's like i guess this can't get any scarier and then it starts walking towards her so she runs back to the cabin and gets her kid, uh, covers her kid in a blanket, uh, picks up the kid, and runs away. Yeah. And and then, a couple of hours later, when they assumed the coast was clear, they went back and they saw that the house, their cabin, was broken into. And they had this big barrel full of fish. It was big enough that it, like a kid could hide in it. And it was full of fish, and it was empty. So, presumably the reason it wanted to go in there is because it was hungry. And they and the barrel wasn't dragged. Like, there was no marks, because the floor is made out of wood. Right. It wasn't dragged, it was picked up. So, imagine a barrel full, full of, of fish. fish, big enough that a person could hide in it, picked up, not dragged, picked up, and everything was eaten in it. And they found tracks as well, later. Uh, some researchers found tracks they were they're kind of similar to uh the roger patterson cast on my wall but the toes are a bit more horizontal um mm -hmm. i don't think they were casted sorry i think they were uh outlined they were like in an outline of a right the track i had never heard that one no Mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy also the william rowe his encounter have you heard of that one not ringing any bells. In 1955, there was a guy named William Rowe, and he was a pretty experienced hunter. I think he was kind of an amateur naturalist of sorts. And he was hiking near a place called Tete Jean Cachet in uh, in British Columbia. Uh, and he was going up a mountain nearby called Micah or Mika Mountain. And he saw a, a Bigfoot, and his encounter is so impressive because of how detailed it is. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many super specific details that's particularly interesting because this is before primatology was even really a thing. This is like pre-Diane Fossey, pre-Jane Goodall. Like there was no major stuff on ape behavior or commonly accessible stuff on their on the their appearance in super detailed in a super detailed way. And you know, he he described a lot of very specific things like a like as it was eating a branch, it, you know, moved its lipless mouth around the branch, or how it would make a like weird noises, like a half laugh, half whinny, like a horse. Hmm. Um, there, there was a couple other interesting things. For instance, he said it had breasts, which is kind of interesting because you normally don't see, uh, or you normally don't hear people report uh, Sasquatch having breasts. No, you uh, don't. Although, although it could just be because they're it's far away. Uh, there was speculation that the one in the Patterson-Gimlin film, though, did have breasts. 
Yes, the one in the Patterson Gimlin film definitely did. There's also differences in ape anatomy compared to human anatomy. Ape breasts only appear very noticeable when they're lactating, for instance. So that might be why. Maybe people do see a lot more, but it's just not very obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he reported it, and he actually had a gun with him, but he didn't shoot it for several reasons. One was that he felt like it was so human-like that he felt like he would really regret it and he'd feel like a murderer, which is a common thing you hear. Another thing is that if he did kill it, he wouldn't know what to do with it because it's so big and he couldn't really move it because he's literally like <laughs> 10,000 feet up a mountain in the woods in the middle of nowhere in central British Columbia. Hmm. So he couldn't really do anything with it if he did. Yeah, and he and he went to the spot after it ran away and he found a, a little lean-to thing it was living in. His daughter did, uh, by his direction, a sketch of the creature, and it's quite interesting because of how similar it is to the creature in the Patterson footage. The point where some skeptics literally think that William Rowe was fooled by the same costume in the Patterson footage, which I think is hilarious. Like, okay. Yeah, the breakdown of the Patterson one, like, there's bone structure and movement that can't be really, a, you know, attributed to a there's, costume. There, yeah, there's no way it's a costume, and... I mean, there's so so many reasons why it isn't a costume. Like, since we know the exact size of uh, Patty, that's the nickname of the creature's foot, um, since we know the exact size of its foot, we know, just based on the foot's length, its height. And it's like six and a half to seven feet in height, which is, you know, a human could technically be that tall, but it's pretty implausible. But there's a bunch of other things, like you can see it blinking, you can see muscular like muscles moving you can also see fat moving especially around its thigh when it stomps down on the ground and a quite noticeable one is that its arms are way longer than a human a human's legs are about 20 percent longer than their arms whereas the thing in the patterson footage has its arms slightly longer than its legs mm -hmm. so there's that but you can also see in the arm that it's not like some weirdly stiff thing as if there's some kind of extension. Like, you can clearly see, like, its hand moves in some frames. Like, it's not an arm extension. Yet there's literally no human that can have that anatomy. That's just not a thing people have. And not even, I think, in, like, a congenital deformity. Like, literally no one has that. No. Definitely yeah. not a costume. Like, it's been proven, I think. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, I would say it has essentially been proven. Wow. Okay, so I, I know I said I wasn't going to, uh, you weren't going to hear from me, but I just, listening to you uh, speak, you are a very well-spoken young man. How old are you, sir? Uh, I am 16. Oh, wow, I wish I was as well-spoken at 16 as you are right now. So I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Um, so about the uh, the police officer and the uh, the audio recording, are you familiar, are you familiar with the... Uh, with uh, fishers in Ontario? Yes. I actually so, saw one quite recently. Have you heard their vocalizations before? No. So I, I'm probably going to, Andy will probably get a clip and he'll probably put it in this, this episode to, uh, okay. to, to sort of explain to the listeners what a fisher sounds like. <laughs> I would encourage you to look up a fisher vocalization on your own and, and maybe ask yourself, uh, is that entirely possible, uh, what the police officer may have heard? Yeah, there's, there is a couple of animals that make kind of creepily human-like sounds. When cougars are in heat, for instance, they sound 
horrible. It sounds like a woman screaming. It's quite, it's very gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know that mountain lions or cougars have made a drastic uh, comeback in Ontario in recent mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much yeah, they're pretty much agreed upon. And that's something uh, that everyone said. Oh, they're not around here. In fact, well, the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources went out of their way to deny that there that's were. That's right. But they yeah. are. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I wanted to ask you was, uh, in recent years, there was a very and, – and so things like Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and, and some of the streaming services have kind of made uh, – cryptozoology has kind of come to light as sort of a buzz mm-hmm. a buzz topic. So there was a documentary that came out a few years ago, Chasing, Chasing Bigfoot. No, that's not what it's called. It's, Discovering uh, Bigfoot. Uh, discovering Bigfoot. So have you seen that film? Uh, no. Who made it? So it's it's done by a gentleman from Alberta by the name of Todd Standing. And I don't know, have you heard of this guy before? Yeah. So Todd Standing uh, made news, made national news. He's tried to lobby the Alberta and the British Columbia governments to do actual uh, natural history studies on the species, which didn't end up going anywhere. But his yeah. his work has really kind of come under fire in the cryptozoology community, and I kind of wanted to know if you had an opinion on that. Yeah, I think he's a hoaxer. Yeah, a I hoaxer, almost... really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that he lobbied the Alberta government. That is quite cool that he did that. But I don't know. I don't think I can take anything he says seriously, knowing his first video with the weird like Muppet parka Bigfoot thing. It, yeah. It's, so obviously not real and i feel like if any of his more recent stuff is real he's kind of cried wolf with it you know i i mean fair enough it would be great if it was real like i don't know i feel like it's not very good i say the videos are probably some of the most convincing bigfoot hoaxes i've ever seen I will sure say that, sure you said earlier that as a rule uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you you tend to be skeptical of any sighting. That is your your inclination is to be skeptical first and then investigate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am. I'm I'm sort of the resident skeptic when it comes to this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I would, the other thing I wanted to, t- to touch on. <laughs> so in psychology, in human psychology, we have this thing called confirmation bias. And we kind of ran into yes, that. Yeah. We ran into that on our, you know, on our first episode where, you know, People who tend to be, you know, have a fascination or an interest in the paranormal and and it's sort of similar stuff have a tend to have a propensity to want to believe. So there's, you know, the psychology kind of suggests that, you know, we're more susceptible to believe something if we're fascinated or we're yeah. endeared by it. How does that sit with you and the work that you're doing? Or do you think you are aware of your own confirmation bias? Or do you think you are as objective as you have said that you are? I think confirmation bias, as is with pretty much most fallacies and biases, is pretty intrinsically linked. I would almost certainly be biased against things, and Bigfoot would probably uh, probably be relevant to that. Although I am interested in ghosts and UFOs and stuff, Bigfoot is pretty much the only one I actually think is real. I, at least in my opinion, you know, uh, UFOs and ghosts, psychics, stuff like that, which is a cool idea. I personally don't think there's much evidence to that. But yes, I would probably 
be biased in the same way that anyone would be biased to we're going to have to get a UFO expert now. So when we do the UFO ex- episode, <laughs> yeah. we can ask him him or her or them the same question. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So on the subject of uh, cryptozoology, in terms of uh, on the left side, we have, say, hobbyists. And on the right side, we have uh, professions. So where are you in terms of cryptozoology as a, as a passion? Is it a hobby or is this something you're, you're going to do more with <laughs> as you uh, go on in life? I assume it would probably be in the middle. Right down the middle. Yeah. I don't think it would be very realistic for me to be like, yes, my profession is that I'm going to research niche things that most people don't really care about. I mean, it is <laughs> Fair cool, enough. It's not, it's not, Fair enough. I don't know. I don't feel like it's a very viable profession. You're not going to make the I mean, big bucks? No, I don't think so. I could imagine maybe I would write a book or something or like, I don't know, do, do something like that. But mm-hmm. I don't think I would ever make it a career i i think i would if i think my profession in the future would probably be related to zoology and science in some way though okay perfect well and that's exactly kind of where i was going with it because i would say wouldn't you want to be i would presume that within the field there are you know zoologists who who do lend some time and they do lend their expertise towards the the study whether it's the confirmation of or the or the exclusion of these species yeah. that are yeah. not well known. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, cryptozoology—the term, as well as kind of the so-called father of cryptozoology—is Bernard Wavelmans, who was an actual zoologist. I, I mean, this sounds kind of obvious, but I think the best literature about cryptozoology and Sasquatch are ones r- made by academics who have relevant fields towards what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, agreed. I, yeah, lends credibility John, to what they're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, John Bindernagel, he was a, a field biologist, for instance. Uh, Jeff Meldrum, I think, studies foot morphology in primates. Pearl Schuker is a zoologist, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's exactly what I was kind of wondering. Well, again, that's it for me. Uh, thank you so much for answering the questions that I said I was never going to ask, but uh, <laughs> I did anyway. <laughs> no I think you'd right. like it. You keep saying you're the skeptic, but uh, I think some part of you finds it very I'm, fascinating. I'm like, so I'm like Thomas, where I have certain things where I can, I can tune to and I can go, yep, I can get behind that. And then I have other things that I'm like, nope, you can't convince yeah. me. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere <laughs> down the middle. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on and talking with us. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, go? How folks can get in touch with you and follow your work? Yeah. Or? If you have an encounter, or uh, not necessarily Bigfoot, if you've ever seen an, an unknown animal that you can't find in a field guide, anything like that, uh, I have my Gmail, which is superbugtom33 at gmail.com. My Twitter is, I think, just at superbugtom. And my website is superbugtom.com. I don't have, I'm not very creative, apparently. <laughs> consistency in uh, brand consistency is very my cool brand. and it was originally my minecraft username i think <laughs> pretty funny. there you go uh yeah so i think that's yeah uh thank you for having me on thank you it was so, it was fascinating and i've got to look at uh some of the things you mentioned i find it very interesting mm-hmm. it's quite a cool topic absolutely i hope i see one one day mm-hmm yeah, I think I'm going to go now. Well, sir, uh, 
Thank you for uh, putting up with me. I know I, I said you weren't going to hear from me. I was just here to engineer, but uh, just listening to you talk, you are an incredibly well-spoken young man, and I was very happy to uh, to sit in on this one with you today. So I'm going to turn it back over to Andy and Kim and, and uh, let them wrap it up. Okay. We could talk about this like all day, really. True. There's so many uh, <laughs> stories and sightings. And... But we can't. True. We can always... Asked you to come back if that's okay. If you would come back, we'd love to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you again. It was awesome. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? You're listening to Off the Path of Normal. So, what'd you think of that? <laughs> uh, that kid's uh, way more intelligent than he should be for his age. True. <laughs> Not to make fun of his intelligence, but he's way more passionate about that than I could ever be. Very articulate. He's... Very interesting just to sit and listen to what he has to say. Yeah. Definitely a rising star there. Absolutely. He's on the right track. I hope, Absolutely. I hope on some level that, uh, you know, even if it just, I mean, what did he say? It's, it's kind of hobbyish for him. But Even it could if it evolved more. Well, this is what I mean. Like, I hope on some level that he sticks with it because I think, you know, as somebody who's that energetic and that passionate at this point in his life, imagine where he's going to be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years if he keeps his head down and, and that level of, of scrutiny. True. Yeah. 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 And by the sounds of it, I suspect that's probably going to be a big part of his life. Maybe I'll be eating my shoes in front of him. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a future show right there. Yeah. Wahoo. Wes eats a shoe. <laughs> yep, yep. We can cross-platform that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kim, you had some insights on the subject. So the stuff I was researching was more about Bigfoot and UFOs, uh, aliens, you know, the connection. I did not realize going in how big of a topic it really is. There's a lot of it out there. Yeah. And uh, this goes back way from like 73, this hmm. alien Bigfoot connection started, which I was surprised at. But it's been around for that long. There's some big people, um, big names in the big, Bigfoot paranormal community that are getting behind this idea that Bigfoot is actually an alien. Hmm. He is not living on this planet full time. <laughs> it would explain a lot. Uh, this guy, William Hall, claims the paranormal world as a whole is more connected than people realize. Hall, who began researching UFOs and aliens uh, in his career, said many of the classic signs from human encounters with otherworldly beings, you know, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot, have similar signs, be they are disappearing beings, there's fast-moving objects or strange lights reported. Like I said earlier, this theory goes back from like 73 
but one that is grabbing hold as more and more Bigfoot hunters are reporting run-ins is that they're known to be, uh, not known to be, but have these orange orbs, these lights associated with Bigfoot. Hmm. So these fast-moving lights, people are thinking alien in nature, but they're usually associated with a Bigfoot sighting, which I found kind of interesting. For sure. So the more research I was doing, a lot of it was overlapping. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. I've picked out a few little pieces, but these orange lights seems to be very common in these newer sightings. So I wonder, maybe, if Bigfoot is not an alien and is actually an indigenous creature to this planet, Mm-hmm. perhaps he is so far on like the endangered species list mm-hmm. that other planets are maybe coming here to preserve and maybe take them possible i guess the biggest question is what what is so remarkable so noteworthy about this particular species that it is worthy of saving versus everything else that we've extincted on this planet reading some of these reports i kept thinking of predator <laughs> really? Which, yeah, yeah. I kept, a lot of these things came up because there's reports of footprints. There's some that are like chasing a deer. You can see the deer, you can see the Bigfoot, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they both stop. Like they've disappeared, thin air. Hmm. And there's reports of being chased. They're seeing them and then they stop. It's almost like they can, you know, come and go. As they please. As I please, which kind of goes into this next area. Renowned Bigfoot hunter Bill Brock has raised the idea about multi-dimensional portals. Brock referenced a recent NASA announcement that magnetic portals may be real. Brock said he came to believe in them when he traveled to West Virginia to study the Mothman case. Hmm. So a lot like the Mothman and the, the Bigfoot. All of these things like are peppered into each other. It's almost becoming one big thing one big mystery yeah it's not just okay here's bigfoot here's aliens here's orbs here's whatever Mm -hmm. they're all connected so if the alien theory is true or the extra dimensional whatever it does uh, he is saying it's one of cryptozoologists biggest unanswered question if bigfoot is real where are the bodies true right and a lot of people are quick to point out that you know go into the forest and try and find a dead deer carcass a few days after it's died, it's gone. True enough. Like and it could be as simple as that, it. right? Yeah, so I mean, what, oh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, a, a dead body is food for how many other species? And, you know, I mean, you see the, the odd bone here and there, but tissue-wise. Well, it's funny you say that later on. I can kind of skip down to that. But uh, there is... I think it's this guy, Ronnie LeBlanc. He has a theory that they're ne- Nathan. I'm not going to say Neanderthal. That. Neanderthals. Really? And because they were cannibalistic, Bigfoot has that too. So the Bigfoot eats and disposes of the bodies, hmm. gets rid of them. There's no waste. I don't think the idea of Bigfoot as the missing link is far off the mark. Uh, you know, in in some in some ways. Yeah, like, let's see if I could just go down here and... On the Neanderthal theory, there are people that believe in some areas that it's just the wild man of the woods and just a pocket of these Neanderthals that have survived through the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Russia, a while back, they went to a cave looking to shoot the creature and turned out it was a closely related Neanderthal. Yeah. So... 
Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Fratricide. Oops. Well, we know they existed. They know it's a branch of, you know, they branched off. And we know through DNA that Ozzy Osbourne is the direct descendant of Neanderthal. Neat. Yeah. What? Rock and roll! You don't remember that? No. Yeah, so one of those, uh, early on, they wanted to do, uh, it was big news, They want, scientists wanted to do a, a, a study. They wanted to study Ozzy. They wanted to, uh, essentially, the, the, I don't know if there's some truth in this or if it's the, sort of the, the running joke was that, how has this guy survived? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? I mean, with all of the uh, abuse that he, abuses he's subjected himself to, they thought that he would make a great case study. And so some of his genetic markers show a direct link to Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's one of the theories, you know, if you kind of look into it, is people who think this theory that, you know, we're humans diverged and we developed, you know, technology and cities and, and that culture, Neanderthals, I think I said that wrong again, is learning to live in the forest and, and have become very well at doing that. That's their domain. They've succeeded at that. So that's where this theory is beginning popular with people is they can see it they can go yeah okay one thing as a as a subspecies of you know human or or primate is that you know the the human species has proven that you know we are masters of adaptability and we have we have permanent uh cultures you know at the 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 most northern you know points on the planet where you shouldn't be able to survive there and and the what it takes to survive is a very highly specialized set of skills, right? And But my point is that it's not impossible. No, and I think that's it. Where there's Because it is, there's that grain of possibility. That's where people are taking that in and, yeah. and running with it. There's a researcher, Ronnie LeBlanc, from uh, Leo Minster, USA. And this town is also known as Monsterland. There's books, there's movies, there's TV. Like, I just... I can't list them all off, but I'm, if you research Monsterland, it will come up. And it's known for flying saucers, glowing orange orbs, and Bigfoot sightings. Huh. So this Ronnie LeBlanc is researching and has for years. And it all started apparently in the 50s. There was a gentleman that supposedly disappeared after seeing a strange creature by the old mill road in Leominster. And it's a typical Bigfoot sighting is how they describe the creature so tall furry dude with big feet <laughs> i don't know if they called mentioned his big feet but typical bigfoot big broad foot, shoulders big barrel chested <laughs> it's in the name bigfoot big feet <laughs> decepticons it's in the name Decepticons. Yeah, yeah. funny enough totally a little off topic i thought but uh this guy leblanc has also released Monsterland. A black IPA with Bull Spit Brewing Company called Sasquatch Spit, which may, uh, you know, be interesting for you boys on the sister show for your Cold Ones episode. We got to get it over the border. Well, I think it'd be fun to try and find it. Well, now that we have a link to it, <laughs> we got a name. We can find it. Monsterland. That's what it's called. Monsterland. What did you say it was? An IPA? It's an IPA, a black IPA with Bull Spit Brewing Company. Bull Spit Brewing Company. Called okay. Sasquatch Spit. All right. Well, we'll be looking them up. I have no, I'm not tasting it. Like, good for you guys, but. Uh... Hopefully that's just in the name too. Bull Spit. <laughs> 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 just the name. 
Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. This guy is, like I said, he's done lots of TV, lots of movies. He's he's quite, apparently from what I read, well-renowned, but he's marketing it for all it's worth. Again, not this would be what, the third reference? Uh, snake oil salesman and, uh, you know, the uh, roadside grifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's done an article and he said that he he believes that Bigfoot is more interdimensional, almost spiritual kind of a realm that he has the ability to manifest itself. He's like, I started chasing an ape, a flesh and blood animal, and now I'm thinking it's something else. And he also says they come in different sizes, colors, depending on the terrain and the environment, which, you know, if we go back to it's... Well, I mean... Right? Like any other species, the uh, on this Euro- European brown bear versus the North American brown bear. There's some some differences of species. Well, you have uh, your North American Sasquatch, and then there's the uh, Yeti over mm-hmm. in Asia, and then right. there's the Orang Pendek. And where the, does where does Wendigo fit in that? Uh, Wendigo, I believe, is is more, it a separate a separate? Uh, I don't want to say myth, but uh, separate uh, separate myth. Yes, yeah. from Native American lore. Okay. Uh, I believe is some form of cannibalistic creature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, there, that ties into what you were talking about. Well, that's earlier. what I mean. Yeah. Like when I was doing this research, it was kind of amazing how everything kind of peppered in a little bit here, a little bit there. And yeah. it wasn't just so cut and dry when you're thinking this extra, when you've opened it up to aliens or extra dimensional or, or whatnot. Well, it is uh, odd on the show Mountain Monsters that mm-hmm. was running there for a while. They would go chasing various Sasquatches, but each one would have its own local nickname. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole variety of them there. And I don't know, that show kind of devolved near the end for me, but uh, in the beginning, they seemed somewhat legit. <laughs> and to their credit, they did capture that one giant hog. It came in at like 900 pounds or something. Well, this is it, you know. It's... Well, I mean, like our our conversation with Thomas, it's if you want to be taken seriously, you have to, you can't just throw a story out there and say because I said so. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna command, you know, sort of, you know, big attention, you've got to be very rigid and very thorough with your scientific method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was Patterson and Gimlin's biggest regret because they Gimlin convinced Patterson, don't shoot it. And looking back now, they said, you know what? I would have shot it, then I'd have a body, and I would have had my proof. I agree. A lot of people, again, this is all you know based on people's testimony, their reports, right? But a lot of them, the stories are saying that They've had, you know, opportunity, opportunity. they've had a gun in their hand. They just didn't do it. And they couldn't because all of a sudden the creature felt too human. Yeah. Looking down like that it's, barrel. It's changed. It's more something, but something all of a sudden changed. And here's an animal they're about to shoot. And all of a sudden they think it's too human. They can't. So that is tying yeah. into that whole, the alien thing, morphing, changing, appearing, not appearing. Again, just to touch a little bit on psychology, there is a huge difference between target shooting or shooting an animal for food versus something that walks upright and that looks like you and having again been on the two-way range it is a very bizarre set of emotions and cognitive processes that you go through when your finger is on that trigger and it's not you know as much as what i did was 
was sort of based on uh, you know muscle memory and and repetition and drill it's still there it still goes through your mind so i can only imagine these people who are not you know they're not conditioned in a military context pointing a weapon at another person it it affects you it does but i think there's a there's something you're missing is if i'm in the woods and i'm hearing something and i'm scared and i think it's an animal you know like you're not on a range you're not in war it's a i don't know like it's to all of a sudden think it's too human when it's an animal i just find that kind of people will shoot things out of fear without even thinking just i need it dead i believe that i was just I was predicating what I said on the assumption that that we actually had visual contact. And if I saw something that looked like me, you know. It makes you think twice. Yeah. 100%, you know, pale yeah, skin yeah, yeah. or dark, like skin, no fur, of course. Makes it a lot easier but when they're shooting at you, I'll tell you that much. But I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can see why people would hesitate. So, a lot of these researchers are now saying, you know, like, we're preconditioned to think of an alien, that it's a little green, gray or a lizard, right? Like, or the little greys as presented in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Exactly, right? Like, who's to say that an alien couldn't look like Bigfoot or be something else? <laughs> Chewy is. He's a he's an alien. That's probably the best Chewy I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the things that I found interesting were a lot of people. There's a lot of people that said. They've seen Bigfoot holding an orb. It looks like a basketball with plasma swirling around, and it's silent, like there's no noise. Or they've seen orbs floating in a field, which then turns into two orbs, like eyes. Then a Bigfoot appears. And it's always silent as if some portal has just opened and the the orb was the key, right? The, the, The orb is always first. Orbs have been seen hovering over the sky and blink out, disappear. I don't know. The the orbs is the big thing with Bigfoot. And this LeBlanc and some of these researchers went into the woods and that the one with the eyes, that's what they claimed. That one orb started, then it turned to two and all of a sudden a face appeared and then the body. And it was kind of like they said, like a mirage type in the beginning and then it became solid. So it's uh, nothing concrete, nothing solid, but uh, Lots of reports now that people are more accepting that Bigfoot could be something other than just a creature that lives in unpopulated forested areas. Now, it's funny with the orbs, uh, recent show Expedition Bigfoot, they they based it on scientific analysis to find the most localized hotspot during a certain time of year Mm -hmm. where they could have their best chance to find it. And in that show, they did capture orbs. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At one point, on camera. So, did we watch that one? It's possible. We've watched a We've few. We've watched so many yeah. that they kind of they kind of blur bleed in <laughs> a little do. bit. They kind of blur. Which I'm impressed that you sat and watch it with me again. Put it in front of me. Show it to me. It's real, you know. And and for me, there's a, there is a fascination. I mean, Bigfoot alone is fascinating for a number of reasons. One, I mean, no, it's not lost on me the Chewbacca reference. I mean, Bigfoot is a source of of. Uh, inspiration for a lot of the the science fictiony pop culture fantasy tropes that I love so you know it's not too hard for me to sit and watch that stuff yeah they've been making movies about bigfoot for years the mm-hmm. ghosty stuff mm-hmm. is a little more like oh jesus i don't want to see this yeah bigfoot sure yeah let's do it i think the biggest one though was uh harry and the hendersons <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and a lesser known one the same year on the wonderful world of Disney, right. they put out one just titled Bigfoot. 
Oh. And I believe it was split up over two weeks. Okay. Uh, starring a very young Candace Cameron. Really? And they depicted Sasquatch as a whole lot more natural than the route they took with, okay. uh, with, with Harry. Harry. So Harry with his very pronounced uh, conical shaped head. Yeah. And yeah. that was way more comedy driven. Whereas uh, yeah, yeah. the Wonderful World of Disney one was more adventure fantasy. Right, right, right. So these two kids get picked up and lost in the forest and Sasquatch basically saves them. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you look at the cultures like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they all, most of them have depictions of a Bigfoot creature. Yeah. And these are cultures that never communicated with each other. They're too distant. Yeah. There's plenty of examples out there of uh, Native American drawings, cave drawings. And That's whatnot, right. Depicting these Sasquatch looking creatures. Absolutely. And stories and. And that have been passed down from generation to generation. And when you look at that, like. What I researched was they're not, they're usually gentle. They're not a vicious, unless they are threatened or unless something, you know, they're defending, but they're usually depicted as a very gentle, sad creature. Protector of the forest. Yeah, really, truly. And then they went back to their portal and back to their home. Yeah. <laughs> they go back on the Millennium Falcon. Well, some reports, like I said earlier, how they just vanished. Some are saying that... Again, is it true? Is it not that they have a cloaking thing? That's what kept making me think of Predator. You know, these oh, yeah, beings yeah. that cloaked. come, they're Cloak, cloaked, yeah. they do whatever, and then they leave, right? Like, I'm not saying a spaceship's there, but it's interesting to think, right? Well, I mean, yeah, the whole interdimensional portal thing. They're there, they're not there. What happened? Where the tracks end and they don't they don't just diverge and go in different, they just stop? They stop. Well, something's got to happen. Well, this is it, right? So, But yeah, with those cave drawings, you would think... They're drawing it because they saw it, and that's the exactly. best way they can depict it. Exactly, and aliens and spacecraft. Like back then, there was no spacecraft. There was nothing like that. So where are they getting it from? They yeah. saw it. Or was there? Well, yes. This is yes. This... I saw Stargate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you look at like their depictions of you know godly people that come from the heavens. No, you're absolutely right. The and... three fingers, the the big heads. Yeah. Just the earliest forms of written language in, in uh, pictograms, right? I mean, uh, before there was spoken or written words, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, so no surprise that early language is made up of pictures. Well, you have the, you know, animal pictures on cave walls that yeah, are true yeah, to yeah. the animals, and all of a sudden you have this creature that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. Did they make it right. up? Did they see it? And then you go to all the other cultures around the world. That have something similar. Right, and these cultures didn't interact. Right. But it's a similar creature? Hmm. Or did they? Oh, Lord. It's <laughs> uh, your catchphrase. I guess so. <laughs> or is it? Or is it? <laughs> I can't help it. I'm here to be the skeptic, so. There you go. <laughs> uh, have we all seen the film Discovering Bigfoot? Mm-hmm. We talked about this with Thomas, didn't we? We did. Yeah, this is the one where. Where one Not very credible. Of- one piece of footage in it looks legit. Right. And the other looks like a Muppet. This is the guy with the apples. Uh, yeah, Todd yeah, okay. Standing. Oh, yes. We talked about him. <laughs> yeah. Mr. I'm going to get the Alberta and the BC governments to uh, declare protected status, and that didn't work out. Some places have declared status, though. Have they? They have. They oh, okay. put him on the endangered and protected list. Mm-hmm. Presuming we can actually find one well at the off chance that they do you're not allowed to shoot well there you go (laughs) well the thing is if he's adapted to being 
hidden or stay away. He knows the terrain. Well, that that in itself. And they're still finding species on this planet. That they yeah, that, that we they just didn't, didn't know about. Yeah, that's true. Well, there's a species of chimpanzee they just found recently. Mm-hmm. Well, not recently, probably in the last 10 years, but uh, all they had, the best footage they had was like a minute and a half of it. Yeah. And the locals have been saying, you know, for years, it's up there, and that was that. Yep. Right. And there's animals they've had extinct that aren't. Believed to be extinct. And yeah, there's just one. a new yeah, one. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, it's happening all the time. All was the it... time. So who's to say that this just is really good at hiding? Right. And not, you know, we're loud. We go in, we're trying to find some creature, and we're traipsing through the woods in our boots and our gear. Right. Or just places that we've just never been to. I mean, as as well traveled as as humankind is, there are still places on this planet that we haven't been to and or cannot get to that could uh, reveal. They're probably watching. They're just hidden, yeah. camouflaged. World's greatest yeah, sure. hide and seek. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I do hope to one day see one. Me too. I was really let down a couple of years back on the History Channel when they did that uh, mockumentary, Bigfoot Captured, mm-hmm. oh. in the same vein as uh, Mermaids Discovered. Oh, okay, okay. Do we, have a, do we have a local myth? I don't think we have any local myths per se, but there are, you know, the odd sighting around here. Anything close? Maybe there's an expedition in the future. Maybe. There we go. Day tripping. Take the gear out. Yeah, yeah. Go camping mm-hmm. in the woods. Yeah. Oh, I haven't camped in a while. <laughs> I don't like sleeping on the ground anymore. Air mattress. <laughs> That's right. Big yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. He can pick you up, float you down a That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I can <laughs> offer him a tin of snuff. <laughs> and knock him out. And I will shoot him. And then we will have proof, and then you can eat my shoes. <laughs> no, you're still eating Wait, your own. Wait, I mean my own damn shoes. Oh, crap. <laughs> Just think of my street cred, though. <laughs> well, that's what Patterson was after. Yeah, really. What if he was really trying to do this campy thing, but he actually caught something real, and he's like, "How do I, nobody, how do I justify this?" Yeah, nobody's gonna believe right. me because of because what I, I was did. doing a campy movie, right? right? Or this fake movie, but it's legitimate. It's real footage. Like, oh crap! Right, and then yeah. and I think that's what's happened, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You go do like, you know, a ghost hunt or something, not thinking you're going to get anything and all of a sudden there's a ghost. Something what do you do? really happens, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. It wouldn't be the first time they've Wes shot. Wes is eating uh, shoes. Oh, yeah. boy. They do shoot movies on the subjects of the paranormal and mm-hmm. as they're shooting, weird stuff goes on. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to think at some point you're casting those vibes out into the universe, you will invite something back. I think so. And I think there's so many researchers, there's so many people out there that it's, there's something to this. Like, it's just it has not. has to be. Yeah. It's not all just misidentified bears. No, and... it can't be. So I think on the subject of inviting, I think it's worthy of uh, asking the listeners if they have a sighting that we would invite them to uh, tell us their 100%. story. Please share. You can share that with us at uh, Off the Path of Normal on Facebook. You can reach out to the show that way. We're also on Instagram. Yeah, so if you get a, uh, a Bigfoot story, uh, you know, one that'll get me closer to eating my shoes. <laughs> Please, 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 please. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that. <laughs> but that's all I have on the subject. Anything else, Cap? That's all I have. We could talk for hours, I'm sure, of oh, all the, sure. the ins and outs. But yeah, that's it for me today. Hey, I'm just here to be skeptical. And I, I job well done. Yay me, Pat Pat. <laughs>
It's all fun and games until someone has to eat the shoes. <laughs> all right. Well, from myself and Kim and our skeptic Wes. Yeah, I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to Off the Path of Normal and uh, stay weird, folks. Woot woot. Thanks for joining us on Off the Path of Normal. You can find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Please like and share us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest updates from the world of the weird. Off the Path of Normal is a Sawcast production. Was there?